Wait, so are we reading the top one too? <laughs> no, just the um, Buster's Command. Oh, okay. Enjoying playing? Matt? Yeah. You go by Matt or Matthew? I enjoy, you know, the, the times that I get to just be in the congregation and just sing and, yeah. you know, and um, just there's something special about it. You know? Yeah. So like when we had to have the conversation, like if we were going to.
You need a binder. Dave needs a binder. Maybe this one's yours. Hey, you guys all have binders. I got nothing. <laughs> Told people to break binders. I'm totally at the mercy of the wind. <laughs> I, have, I have a clip for you if you want. Like a hair clip? I've got a computer. Well, you know, it's not really windy, so... I'll keep this here as a backup. And I... Actually, I put my phone in. Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Let's stand together. We are glad you are here. Glad that uh, you are tuning in online. Our God is good. We got some shade there for you guys. You guys like that? One person likes it. Let's, let's return the tent. Return it. <laughs> hey, we're glad you're here this morning and. It's a time of remembrance as we're uh, going to open the word in, in a few minutes. Um, the songs that we're going to talk about this morning is, is strictly about remembering about God's grace, about his goodness, remembering that he has pardoned us, remembering that we can enter into the throne room. Um, the things that we rest upon. If you haven't grabbed music, there is music out um, on your way in, a uh, sheet of paper. But um, let's join together as we uh, first and foremost remember the gospel. That's what this first song talks about. So let's sing. Let's uh, raise your voices together. Let's uh, enter into the throne room of grace. Lord, we, um, we come, many of us weary, some of us are having maybe a great week, Lord, knowing that you have redeemed us, that you've given us grace. Some of us are coming that we're struggling. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. Your word tells us that you know us um, from the tip of our head to our feet, Lord. Our deepest desires. Lord, we come to... Uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, to bring whatever baggage we have today, to bring them at the foot of the cross, knowing, Lord, that, that you are sufficient. Lord, that you know that you carry us, you walk with us, you hold us. And Lord, we honor you. And may these songs be a sweet reminder to us of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. together, friends. Come all you weary. Oh 
is waiting God so loved the world can we rejoice knowing that God has saved us if you guys want to turn with me in the paper that you have to the prayer of confession Psalms 51 um, we're just going to meditate on this truth this morning and just be blessed by remembering the grace that he offers is so freely given and it covers a multitude of sins so um you can, if you don't have it in front of you, you can just um, listen to it with me or read along. But Psalms 51, verse 1. <coughs> have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret place. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's, uh, let's sing this truth together.
not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for the assurance of pardon. And as Psalm 103, 8 and a few other verses following that says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, but remembers that we are dust. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Friends, I want to encourage you that uh, as we remember knowing that, that we can come into the throne room of grace to be forgiven. We have that assurance of pardon. And as we're going to say together, I want to have a corporate prayer of reading the Apostles' Creed together right now. Will you lift your voices remembering that this is the foundation that we stand upon, the things that we remember that God has established in our hearts, and may we rest upon them. Will you read it with me, please? Starting with I believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Yeah. 
to our King. Lord, we honor you. We praise you. We thank you for our forefathers that have written down um, things to song, things to uh, responses that we can come and remember what you have done, who you are, your holy word, the body of Christ, your Holy Spirit, and Lord, that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So much better here than in internet land, as Brad would call it. Man, it's good to see you guys. Um, my name is Jesse, if I haven't met you, and uh, I'm part of a great pastoral team here and just want to welcome you. Um, one of the things that obviously I know many of you uh, are aware of, a lot of people are moving out of the area and a lot of people are moving into the area. Uh, and if you are new and you're looking for a church, I just want to extend uh, my gratitude to you for coming. Uh, here, we believe what we do here is special and beautiful and good, 
and that God is a major component of, of our lives. And so thank you for being here. And then I would also just extend an invitation uh, that if you'd like to sit down with me and, and just have a conversation, introduce yourself to me, uh, just call the office or email Pam. Uh, her uh, her uh, email's on the webpage at sbctrucky.com, and she'll make sure that she can set up a time uh, for you and I to sit down. And then if you are new, we have now in the back, we've placed our bulletins, our back, and in the bulletins, which are located just when you first come in, is the Connect card for you to fill out on that Connect card. Uh, lets us know a little bit more about you. Uh, and then it allows you, if you want to, to sign up for our newsletter, which tells you everything that we're doing uh, throughout the week and what's going on. It's got some devotions on there uh, and all of that. And so I want to make you aware of that. And then in your bulletin, you have a picture. And I thought this was important because, um, well, first of all, like, like we're still trying to figure out who still comes to church. We've only been doing this for a little while, so I don't know who is totally still part of Sierra Bible Church. There's so many of you here, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, many familiar faces and some new ones. Um, but uh, w- we don't totally know who, who has gone and who has come and who's doing what. And we know several of you are still are, are online. And, man, it's incredible just in the amount of time uh, what our team has been able to do to get us outside and to allow us to be online outside live. So uh, give Brad Knoll and, and Caleb a big round of applause for making that happen. Um, which is pretty incredible to be on, on YouTube and, and all that. And we continue to extend our reach. We've got a couple people who watch us in New Jersey and in New York that reach out to us on occasion that find a lot of hope in our messages, and so that's really special. So I, we wanted to highlight just some of those neat things. So in the bulletin, you may not have them, but when you give to Sierra Bible Church, you're giving uh, through an extension of yourself to us to arenas and areas that you may not even be fully aware of and we try to let you know hey when you when you give to SBC there's certain things that we're able to do that we wouldn't be able to do if you didn't give uh, to our church so in the bulletin is just a quick highlight of just in the last four months things that you have contributed to as a church so there's a lot of bad news out there there's a lot of negativity out there but let's let me just share with you a couple things that are pretty amazing in Russia alone uh, your giving has helped us reach nine people to find Jesus uh, if you take note there, there are 100, over 150,000 meals were provided and supplied to for 418 families. 30 families uh, were fed in, in Europe. 60 believers were trained in Europe to reach immigrants with the gospel. We gave 250 pounds of baby food uh, to Africa. Uh, online leadership for several students. 300 families fed in Mexico. 100 meals uh, given uh, to another location. If you just take a look at that map, this is worth celebrating. So when you, when you give to the church, uh, there are arenas that you may not even be fully aware of. Uh, we give to this thing. It's called, the, it's called the Great Commission Fund. So a percentage of everything that comes into the church either goes into the community here at Truckee or it goes worldwide to places that, that we don't even always advertise. And sometimes we don't advertise it because it's reaching people in Muslim countries that if they found out we had people there, they, they would probably be murdered and killed. In fact, we have churches in Beirut that were impacted by uh, the blast, uh, and they're asking for more help and resources uh, to continue to uh, help the hospitals there and help people there. And so even in Beirut, we have a gospel outreach, a missional outreach, which I think is pretty incredible. Amen. Isn't that good? Locally, um, we also just recently helped uh, a teacher in our area who's having to move all of her classes online. She doesn't have a computer. She didn't have uh, some of the right resources. So we 
purchased for uh, that family a computer so they could continue to reach kids online. She loves the Lord, loves her kids. So we've helped within that arena. Uh, you know, over the last few years, uh, every year that we have a fire, we have given literally well over into the hundreds of uh, thousands of dollars to uh, help those who've been impacted by the fires. And you can continue to do that through Sierra Bible Church as well. You just mark your check. We'll make sure that those who are in need, churches that are in need, uh, will be able to find um, comfort and help and, and just to know that the Lord is with them. So I just I just want to tell you that in the midst of all the political junk, in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of all the negativity, in the midst of what I read today, one, one in four students in the last four months uh, have have thought about committing suicide because of COVID-19. In the midst of those things, we serve Jesus, and Jesus is still in the business of reaching out into people's lives and giving them hope. And so to him we say, Jesus! All right, amen. It's good. A uh, couple other things before we get into the word. We've had some leadership changes. Uh, they're not all here, but Jamie Brimer and uh, Russ Dyer, they have stepped back from serving as deacons. And Andy Finch is now... Uh, the head uh, deacon of our team, and then Amy is vice chair, so Amy's serving alongside him, so we just want to make you aware of that change, and then we're still training and raising up leaders here, and for the last several months, John Drollinger has been interning as an elder at our church, and so I want to invite John to come on up. Come on up, John. Um, <clears throat> he's been praying for you. He's been serving you. He's, he's a smart guy. He's tall, so you you can you, you maybe don't need to use the stairs. Um, I do. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's always that moment whenever we do this. Six feet, yeah. So John um, John's been part of our church for two years now, a couple years, and man, he's just been a huge encouragement to me uh, and my wife and our church. He loves you guys. He's been praying for you. So here's what we do. We're what we are. We're we're considered an elder led church with what we call a first among equals. What that basically means is we recognize that there is a, a lead pastor position, uh, which is the one that I hold, uh, and that my voice carries a little bit more weight because I'm in front of the congregation uh, more often, but I'm, I'm one vote. I don't have two votes. I don't have three votes. The elders help guide and direct, hold me accountable, rebuke me when necessary, and he's part of that shepherding team to care for the congregation. And so this is what we do when we bring a new elder on. We don't just anoint him. Uh, we joked about bringing up a sword and doing the whole knighting kind of thing. That's not what's going to happen this Sunday. But um, what we do is in two weeks, we'd like to pray over him and install him as an elder of Sierra Bible Church. But before we do that, we bring him before you. And if there's an issue for any reason that you believe that for some reason he wouldn't qualify as an elder, we would encourage you to talk to John one-on-one -on -one and see if you can resolve it. If it can't be resolved, we then would ask the elders to get involved. And then if it's not resolved after that, we would install him as an elder. But if there is no issues that arise, uh, we would install him as an elder. So I just wanted you to know who he is because we want to encourage him to be a leader here. We want him to be a leader here. We love him and believe in him. So uh, if you have any issue with John, uh, he'll meet you in the back of the parking lot uh, after the service, okay? No fisticuffs. Yeah. Give him a hand. Thank you, John. <clears throat> okay. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. This is a, um, a chapter in which you're probably familiar with, especially if you've watched the Exodus movies. This is the moment in which after the Exodus of Egypt, 
And uh, after Moses has been on top of the mountain, he's received the the law from God. He's been speaking with God. He's been basically in the presence of God. While he's on the top of the mountain in intimacy with the Lord, the people, the people begin to wonder where Moses is, and they begin to rebel against God. And I want you to take a look. If you would this morning, stand with me if you have the ability to do so as we honor God's word because we love his word. And I just want to read some of this here this morning. Not all of the chapter, but some good little chunks of it here. Verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed, that's a good one to underline, that word delayed, to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up and make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said, Take off the rings and the gold. They're in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off all of their rings of gold that they were in their ears. They brought them to Aaron. They received the gold from, the ha- from their hand. And he fashioned it, another key word to look upon, with a graving tool. And he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Uh-oh. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast unto the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Jump down to verse 9. And the Lord saw this, and he heard, and he said to Moses, I've seen the people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may may burn hot against them, that I may consume them. In order to make a great nation out of you. Jump down to verse 15. Then Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides. On the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God. Engraved on the tablets, when Joshua heard the noise of the people, they shouted. He said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat. But the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near to the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets out of his hands. He broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made. Listen to this. He burned it with fire, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and he made the people of Israel drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you? that you have brought such a great sin upon them. And Aaron said, let not the anger of the Lord burn hot. You you know the people, they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So, So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Go to verse 28. And the sons of Levi are then called by God to go out and kill those who sinned. 3,000 men, it tells us, in verse 28, fell that day. And then if you look at verse 30, then the next day Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin. And now I'll go up to the mountain of the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses turned to the Lord and he said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now... If you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you have written. 
But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of the book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, on the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Lord, would you allow your word to do a great work in us this morning? And the church of Jesus Christ said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a fun story. I don't know about your faith. You know, several months ago when we were, I think we were pretty much still quarantined. I don't know. I think at that time we still had decided, you know, that the building was going to be shut. And we were encouraging all of you to gather online if you were able to. And, and one of the messages I shared, I, I used a line that went something like this. Before you come back to church, come back to God. Before you come back to church, come back to God. What's interesting about our life of faith is that inevitably at some point in time, we probably have had a lapse in our faith. Has anyone ever had a lapse in their faith? You know, you know what I'm talking about? The way that it was told to me as a young kid is uh, that, that sometimes Christians backslide. I'm sure you've heard that term before, that they were doing well with the Lord and then they slid backwards. I have a period of time in my life where that's true. Uh, it's not a period of, of my life that I like to talk about all that often because it's, it's to be honest, it's quite embarrassing uh, a little bit. Um, so I grew up in a broken home. My parents became Christians, and then I became a Christian around 12, walked with Jesus till about the time of 18. And then at the age of 18, through football and weightlifting, I got into bodybuilding. And I walked away from the Lord and started doing all the things that a young college student shouldn't do Started competing in bodybuilding. My wife and I actually still argue to this day whether I wore posing trunks or Speedos. They are posing trunks, let us be clear. My wife has been trying to find those pictures for the last 16 years of marriage to no avail. They are hidden. They are secure. They shall not be seen. And if they end up on Instagram in any way whatsoever, I will kill you. Okay? <laughs> These are not to be seen by the public. This is not a social media deal. Uh, and, and in that time, man, I, I remember I had, I had people in the church, people who knew me, my own mom, encouraging me to come back to Jesus, encouraging me not to run to, to really what were my fa false idols and my false gods. Now, what about you? You know, have you had a period in time in your life where maybe reading the Bible wasn't something that you cared about or really intimacy with Jesus wasn't something that you really wanted or that you desired? Everybody loves the idea of Christian community as long as it doesn't require accountability. You, you know what I mean by that? It, it takes a great deal of maturity to, to be a part of a Christian community that, that allows us to be in a place where we can have hard conversations about our lives and about our sins and about the things we wrestle with and not get wrapped up in that and not get upset about it. So what's happened in this particular case is that the people of God have literally been set apart. They have seen the loving graciousness of Yahweh. He is making them a new nation. He has come to live amongst them. It's important for us to remember that in the temple, God was essentially saying, I want you to come into my master bedroom. I want you to be in the most intimate place with me. I want you to understand that I, I want to be married to you. That's kind of New Testament language that God wants to be betrothed to, married to, intimacy, intimacy with his people. And the people know where Moses is. 
You know where Moses is. He's on the mountain. He's been talking with God. He's been a messenger to the people for God. They know where he is. But isn't it interesting to note? Look at this here, and I think this is fitting again for us in this season. Look at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed. When the people, when the people realized they had to not just wait on Moses, but wait on God. I mean, they're taking the long road to the promised land because they're not ready to be in the promised land. And we've said this in Exodus before. Do you ever feel like God is taking you on the long path? Do you ever feel like God is just taking his sweet time? And sometimes when God doesn't move fast enough, we have a tendency to revert back to old lifestyle and old life kind of ways to backslide. That's what the golden calf basically represents. And there's kind of two things that the calf kind of tells us if we read this. One is some people believe that they're saying that the calf is to be worshipped alongside of Yahweh. That it's okay to worship Yahweh, but, but I also need, I also need something, something else to worship, something else to comfort me. Other theologians say, no, he's, they're not actually intermingling the gods. They're, they're actually replacing God. They're literally saying that Yahweh is in the calf. Either way, they're reducing gods. And we have a tendency to reduce God in our life, especially if we feel like we have to wait upon the Lord. There's a great quote that's been mentioned in the boxing world for years. And it's from Mike Tyson. He has this, uh, this wonderful quote where he, where he says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And you know what he's saying? He's, he's essentially saying, you know, everybody's got this plan to beat Mike Tyson. Some of you might remember he was this monster. He knocked people out left and right. And, and everybody would come in with this plan to beat Mike Tyson. And, and basically what Mike Tyson said is, once I punch you in the mouth, your plan goes out the window. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of MMA. I know that's not for everybody, but I am a fan uh, of MMA. And one of the things they talk about in mixed martial arts is that when a guy trains to fight another guy and he has to change his style to beat that guy, if that guy that he's changed his style for starts to punch him in the mouth, what he naturally does is he just naturally reverts to his old habits. And then the guy gets beat. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And what happens in Christianity, we think we've got this plan, we think that we've got it all planned out until something happens in life that frustrates us, that bothers us. How we react to diversity, or rather adversity, how we react to hardship and troubles, they prove to us two things. One, what's really going on inside of us, and two, where our real hope is in God or not. COVID-19 is the ultimate revealer of the soul. One of the reasons that we're so just divided as a nation is because what's coming out of us is what has been in us. And if it hasn't been love and kindness and graciousness, then it's been because you've got punched in the face and you've reverted back to your old calf, your old idols. Now, this is true for all of us. This happens to all of us. So this isn't, this isn't something that, that's just me, and it's not just you. It's everybody. I mean, do you remember what the Apostle Paul says in regards to his own sin and his own struggles in Romans 7? Chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I don't understand my own actions, for I don't know, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the thing I hate. He goes on, verse 18, he goes, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Does anyone ever feel like that? I mean, if you're a parent at all, you have probably felt that way. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why, why, why am I constantly just fighting myself and my flesh? <clears throat> now, I want you to take a couple note of failures here of how the failures occur. Number one, number one, the people were failing to obey God's words and commandments. One of the reasons they ended up in this position is because they failed to obey the things in which God had spoken to them earlier. Number two, they are not simply trusting the promises of God. They're not focused on the things that God has promised that he will do for them. And number three, they start to use their own gifts, not for God's glory, but for their own glory. Now, they run back to this calf. What they want is a God who will work on their own behalf. Now, this is the same calf that existed in Egypt before. It was the one that God destroyed in the plagues. Remember when death filled the air? It's the same God they're running back to. And, and the reality is they want something they can control. They want something that, that, that will work for them. It's a tendency in all of our hearts that we all have that we want God's stuff and not actually God. We want God to bless us. It's a desire for the created rather than the creator. They are trying to shape God in their own image that that God would comfort them. Now, there's, there's a gnarly little, little piece of verse in here that shows us how radical their sin actually is. If you go to chapter 32 and you read verse 6, it says they rose up early in the next day. That means the drinking began early. They rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings to this false god, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. That word play is literally translated as orgy. They're an all-out sexual sin. They rose up early in the morning. They are, they are partying. They are, they are doing what they want because they want to feel good. They don't want to know that, that, that things are hard. They don't want to feel the hardship. They don't want to deal with the negativity. They don't want to have to wait on God. They're in full-on sin. So they create for themselves this, this golden calf, and we'll get to, to, to uh, Aaron's little you know, justification here in a moment where he says, well, I just took the gold, I threw it in the fire, and poof, there he is. Now, there's a, um, a sociologist, he's a Christian guy, who a few years back uh, did a study on a survey basically on where is Christianity moving in the American culture. Now, this is when I, when I say these kind of things, we are part of a Christian culture, whether we, we like it or not, we're part of a Christian culture. Now, now, the good news is in Truckee, because we're in California, if you come to church, it's more likely that you come to church because you do really love Jesus. There are a lot of places, like in Texas, for instance, in Texas, people go to church because, well, that's what we do. Not because they want Jesus, because that's what they do. Uh, I know of one church in particular that, that's really wrestling uh, in this season because they said, hey, you know what? Our attendance, we, we decided not to close down, and our attendance just blew up. And I was like, that's great. And I was talking to him. This, this is a, an amazing thing. You should be celebrating that. You should be thankful. And he said, actually, no, we're actually a little frustrated. And I said, why? And he said, because people are coming to church not because they love Jesus, but because they want to make a point that they don't want to obey the government. Isn't that interesting? So people are, are, are 
all, you know, all over the place. We're part of this Christian culture. And in our Christian culture, this sociologist who's a Christian has said, this is what's being revealed about Christianity in the United States as a whole. He called it moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, that may be a term you uh, are aware of. Maybe it's not. Maybe you've never heard of it. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, if you know who he is, he has some tremendous uh, writings on this moralistic, therapeutic deism. You, you probably look at me, well, that's a big word. What does that mean? Let me just summarize it. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Let me start with the deism part. The deism is at least there exists, there's a God. They were saying basically in our culture, in our church, people say, yep, there is a God, but he's nameless and he's faceless, and we have to live a good life to please him. That's deism. Nameless, faceless, we've got to live a good life. That's the moralistic part. Deism, there's a God, moralistic, I've got to be moral, I've got to be good, I've got to do the right things, I've got to love my neighbor, I've got to give to my church, I've got to do a Bible study, I've got to pray. I do all these things because that's how you appease God. However, within moralistic, therapeutic deism, this is the therapeutic side, we're not sinners. Okay, we're not evil by nature. We're basically good people. And we're, we're supposed to live a moral life of being good, fair, and nice, as taught in the Bible, but it's about being good. It's not about Jesus. It's not about salvation. So there's a God, but he's distant. There's moralism. I've got to do the right thing. I've got to be a good person. But the central goal, this is the therapeutic side here, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good. So we can take the encouraging, empowering information we find in the disciplines such as psychology and spirituality and integrate it together in such a way that works for us. We want to be therapeutic. Now, why do I talk about the overall Christian like culture? Because this is what people want from their church. They want you to say, yeah, there is a God, but don't put him in my face. Yeah, yeah. There is a God, but make sure when I leave here, I feel really good. Make sure I leave empowered. Now, who cares what happens on Monday? Because we all know that emotions don't carry day to day, do they? Now, you leave and you go, man, what a great, what a great experience. And so you've got churches across America not, not preaching the gospel, not talking about the word of God, not talking about sin, not talking about our tendency to worship false gods and false idols like this golden calf, but you've got churches that say, come here, feel good about yourself, don't be challenged, don't let your sin come out, don't, don't let anybody tell you that you need to repent of anything because that doesn't feel any good. Don't be challenged, don't, don't have someone get in your face every now and then and say, you know what, you really have a bad attitude in this, you shouldn't be thinking this way. No, don't challenge me with those things. Come in. I want to sing Kumbaya, my Lord. I want some really good music. I, I, I want to feel good. You understand where I'm, where I'm coming from? So there's a contrast. Moses is on the mountain hearing from God, and the people are down below, and they're, they're building for themselves the, the moralistic, therapeutic deism that we want today. It's the same struggle. I want to feel good. I want to play. Don't challenge me. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. One quote says, this view of God is like a dad who left the family when we were too young to even remember him. Still, he's a decent enough guy, and though we don't know him and he doesn't visit, he nevertheless wants us to be good people and live good lives. God the Father revealed in Scripture is so much better than this false God invented by us confused orphans. Praise God, we've been adopted by a father who loves us, lives with us, cares for us, and has needed disciplines us for our own good 
We are heirs of all that is Christ, fully privileged sons and daughters of God and adopted fully in Christ with the best dad ever. Amen? We have this wonderful father. We have this wonderful God who invites us into intimacy. He says, I'm better than a golden calf. Don't reduce me to that. Don't reduce me to an image. Worship me for who I am. Another pastor goes on and says, says you know what? The, the, the ways in which we raise up a golden calf. Because this morning you might be going, well, Jesse, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't know if I like this kind of message. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't worship a golden calf. I don't have that. I've never thrown anything into the fire and nothing's ever popped out. Like, I don't, I don't know if I have this problem. Well, listen to what this pastor says. He says, he says our, our idols basically can be anything. He goes on and says, here's some things that we have a tendency to say. Behold, the spouse who has delivered me from loneliness. Behold, the children who have given me value. Behold, the job promotion. Behold, the car, the house, the bank account. Behold, the new watch. Behold, the clothes that, we have, that have saved me, the car. Behold, the recreation, the sports. This quote goes on. He says, there's a demonic force around new stuff. He says, it's crazy that the new phone or the new whatever has an ability to somehow make you feel better. Money, sex, romantic relationships, peer approval, competence, skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, beauty, brains, success, ambition. All of these things, somehow they, they, we, we use them to make us feel better. Isn't it crazy? I'm guilty of this. Hey, I'm having kind of a weird day. I'll just get on Amazon, start perusing, and I'll buy something that seems affordable. And when it comes in, there's just something about getting that box. It's like Christmas twice. The prime came. It came in two days. Behold. You open it up, and there's the new little thing. Behold. I feel good only just for a moment and just for, for a little bit. All of us have a tendency that, 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 that when things are hard and, and things get difficult and God seems to be waiting on top of the mountain, we run to stuff to make us feel better. That's idolatry. Come on, I know you've done it during COVID-19. Statistics tell us drinking is up, drug use is up, suicide is up. All of these things are up. Why? Because we have not beheld the beauty of God. We're not worshiping the true God. We've risen up out of the ashes. Our own little golden calves to try to cope with the chaos and the anxiety that COVID-19 has brought. Now, I feel personally in this season that I have grown stronger. I'm not saying that to, 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 to brag, but I feel like now at this point, it's like, okay, if the church comes against opposition again, if we get shut down again, I, I think our leaders feel more equipped. Well, how are we going to handle it? You know, one of the things that happened uh, for me during the, the season, and, and some of you know this, I've, I've admitted it, I basically stopped working out for three months. And, and so just set it off to the side. Uh, anxiety levels went up for a little bit there. Wasn't as energetic, felt nappy. I'm not much of a nappy person, but COVID-19's made me kind of want to nap. Behold the nap, my Savior. I just shut it down. I don't want to think about it anymore. And, and, and over the last few weeks, I've been back in the gym, working out with a couple guys in the church, and and, and, and just, okay, I now know that when the next thing filled with anxiety and angst occurs, I'm not going to stop working out. 
Not because I care about my beauty. I left that go. I let that go a long time ago. My kids asked me yesterday, Dad, what do you look like with hair? I said, I don't know. I've never had it. But I'm going to make a better effort to try to make sure that I stay focused on the Lord, take care of my body because it is the temple of the Lord, that we can continue, that I can continue to give the energy that is necessary to pour myself out, that the church will grow, that you'll find hope, that our community will know that in the midst of chaos, we don't live for this world, but we live live for the perfect one to come. Amen? There's hope beyond all this. Now, let me just confront you. If you've sinned in this season, and let me be clear, you have. If you've sinned in this season, what are the ways that you can identify how you're not uh, appropriately responding to sin? So we see within the people of Israel how they should not have responded. And if we can see how they should not have responded, we can also see how we should respond. First of all, typically when we're caught in sin, right? The moment when Moses comes down the mountain and says, what are you doing? The moment you read scripture and you, you see scripture say, what are you doing? Right? I, I, remember, I remember being in college and, and, and uh, Flory Golding used to come to church here. She she came up to me one day and she said, are you sleeping with your girlfriend? And I said, yeah, like there was nothing wrong with it. And then she looked at me and she said, that's fornication. I went, is it? And I said, I don't know if it is. She said, go home, look up the word fornication, study it, see what you find. So I did. Ruined everything. Ruined the relationship. I was caught in my sin. It was clear as day in the passage that, that God was telling me, your relationship with your girlfriend is not healthy and it is not right, but I needed someone to come and confront me. Not because, not because I, I, I'm less than, not because I'm weak, but because I need God. And someone cared enough about my relationship with God to tell me something I needed to hear. The Moses moment coming down the mountain. What are you doing? The first thing we have a tendency to do is blame other people. Did you hear it in Aaron's voice? You know those people? You know how evil they are? They're set on it. You know, th- we've been doing this from the beginning. Do you remember when Adam and Eve are caught in their sin? God sees them in the cool of the day. Adam, what are you doing? It's the woman. And then he adds to it. He makes it even worse. He blames it on Eve. It was the woman. And then he says this. He adds to it. He makes it even worse that you gave me. He's always saying, I wouldn't have had this sin problem. I wouldn't have had this issue had you not given me a beautiful woman in the first place. You know, God, that I'm not capable of having that in my life. We blame other people. But, ugh, come on. I've got four kids. They're experts in this. Why did you hit your sister? Well, he made me. She made me do it. Well, because they did this, right? We blame other people. Instead of doing, the, the way we fix our sin, friends, the way we get back into intimacy with God, friends, is to admit the sin and confess it. You know what, Lord? I confess I've done this wrong. You know why you can do that? Because you are not identified by your sin any longer. That's how you can go before God and say, I've been drinking too much. I've been partying too much. I've been napping too much. 
I haven't been working out. I've neglected the word. I've neglected the church. I've, ne- I've neglected giving. I've neglected loving my wife. I've neglected loving my kids. God, I confess. I have a sexual problem. I have an attitude issue. Lord, I confess these things knowing that in you, you are gracious enough to forgive me and heal me of these things. But in order for me to finally get better, I have to admit that I have a problem. So Lord, I confess. Don't blame, confess. The second thing we have a tendency to do is distort reality. Right, that's where Aaron goes. I threw it in, and poof, there it is. Right, I, I think it's possible that Aaron actually maybe believed that's what happened. Because when we're finally caught in our sin, we, we, we have a tendency to, to kind of shape reality uh, around that sin and be like, well, no, no, this, is, th- th- this had to happen. In fact, in fact uh, we start to justify as well. That's number three. We twist reality and we justify. We, well, Aaron's essentially saying it came out of the fire. It just poofed there. We'd be fools not to worship it. Right? I mean, here it is. It's here. I mean, look at how much effort and time I've put into this thing. Right? Because we know that he did. It, that happens in relationships. That happens in jobs. And we recognize, well, I've been putting so much time and energy into it. We just, keep, we just justify the perpetuation of a particular sin. Don't we? Maybe it's just me. And God would would say, let's put a stop to the justification. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 12, tells us the real truth of what happens in the story. It talks about idols, and listen to what it says about these particular idols. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool. So Aaron had a tool. Takes a cutting tool, works it over the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with a strong arm. Listen to the ridiculousness of this. He cuts down cedars, cuts down these huge trees, Cypress trees, oak trees, he lets them grow strong. He plants cedar in the rain, he nourishes it. It goes on and says he becomes fuel for man. He takes a part of it and he warms himself. So he goes through this process in Isaiah. He says, listen, this is what we do. We, we have a tent, we grow the tree, we cut the tree down, we work the tree with our strong arms. We're cultivating, we're, 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 we're working in the garden, if you will. We're getting dirty and sweaty. And he takes a part of it and, and he makes a fire with it and he bakes bread. And then with another part of it, he makes a God and he worships it. He makes it an idol and he falls down before it. Half of it burns in the fire. Over the other half he eats meat. He roasts it and he satisfies. He also warms himself and says, ha ha, I'm warm. And the rest of it he makes into a God, his idol. And he falls down to it and he worships He prays to it and he says, Deliver me, for you are my God. You see what he's saying? He's saying we have this tendency to fashion things in our life, to work with things in our life, and try to make them something that, that is useful to us, and then we bow down to those things. And the reality of what is I, Isaiah is saying is, you did all of it. It's foolishness. It's stupidity. To cut down a tree, use half of it to warm yourself and make food, and to use the other half to sing to and worship. It goes on in Psalms and says that we have this tendency to exchange the glory of God for an image of ox that eats grass. I like how John Calvin says this. When he talks about idols, he's got this, you know, some of these old theological guys, there, there was no political correctness in like the 1500s. And he, this is what he says. He says, in this narrative, we perceive the detestable, impiety that means lack of reverence of the people we see in the people in this moment they're they're worse than base ingratitude and their monstrous madness 
mixed with stupidity. This is stupid. He goes on and says, could they not see the pillar of fire and the cloud? Was not God's paternal solicitude, which means his care, abundantly conspicuous, which means standing out clear. Every day in the manna was he not near to them in ways innumerable. So what Calvin is saying, and I think scripture would even go as far as saying, when you bow down to these false gods, when you run to these false things, when you sin, it's just stupid. It's just a lapse of remembering who God is. Well, how do we fix it? Well, first of all, remember I said you acknowledge it. Remember, remember what God says to, uh, to them. He says in chapter 2, verse 39, stiff-necked people. If you've had a little creak in your neck, you know why. We're stubborn. So how do we fix this? Number one, we'll close with these here. Number one, we've got to wait on the Lord and acknowledge his mercy. We're not, we're not patient as Americans. Do you know that? Just go wait at line in McDonald's. We're just not. And you know one of the reasons I think COVID-19 has been so hard for us? Because we thought it would be over two months ago, three months ago. Shoot, I remember when it first went down in March, I was like, we'll be back in April. We're just not patient. It seems like God's up on the mountain just doing his own thing. Moses is left us there's where's our deliverance there's this great song that we've sung here before by shane and shane i uh, will i listened to it on the way in I, I it's actually probably one of my favorite songs and it's just so beautiful i don't know how many of you know shane and shane is he just want to be encouraged with good music listen to them he has the, they have this song listen listen to what they how they sing this song here i come god i come i return to the lord the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You struck me down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love, that I might know you in your suffering. And the chorus goes and says, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I worship. I sing a song to the one who's all I need. My heart and flesh may fail. The earth below give way. But my eyes with my eyes, I will see the Lord lifted high on that day. Behold the lamb that was slain, and I'll know every tear was worth it all. In the song, they, they summarize this beauty that we have within Jesus, that in the midst of suffering, and hardship, if we keep our eyes on God, we can wait for him and that we'll know him in our suffering. Do you believe and trust that God will be made known to you in your suffering more than if you weren't suffering? Do you know there really are very few leaders that are of any earthly good who have never suffered? Those that have suffered the most know how to have compassion and mercy and I was telling my wife the other day, I honestly don't know if I could be leading our church in this season had I not gone through the great tumultuous loss of my father when he died, when he was taken from us so fast, and all of the things that I don't have time to get into that I had to deal with to, to try to make all of those things work for my mom and my sisters. And if it wasn't for that hardship, there's no way I could be leading the church in this season. 
See, there's the goodness of God in the midst of suffering and difficulty. There's goodness in God. Not, not that we run to other gods, but that we run to him in that suffering. The second thing is, not only do, do we have to wait on the Lord, the second thing is we must also embrace God's hatred for sin. We have to learn to hate it. Sin always leads to death. It never leads to life. It bothers God. And God actually says in this passage, he says, I'm going to have wrath, wrath upon those who are sinning. And, and some of us, we have, no, we, have, we, have no, we have no understanding of what real wrath is of God. Because in the Old Testament, we see people get struck dead because of stuff. In the New Testament, people aren't dying. You want to know why? Because the wrath of God works differently now. It's not that God is different, but he looks different. In fact, Romans chapter 1 literally tells us that the wrath of God is to make mankind confused and to leave them alone, that they would do whatever their heart desired. Do you hear that? The wrath of God is finally to say, you know what? You refuse to repent of your sin. You refuse to acknowledge who I am. You refuse to return to me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to leave you alone. I'm just going to let you destroy yourself. If that's what you want, you want to have sex with whoever you want to have sex with? You want to take whatever substance you want? You don't want to have any boundaries? You don't have any barriers? You don't want to acknowledge that I'm God and that I'm the creator, you're the created thing? I'm going to leave you alone. The worst thing you can feel in your, in your life is to not feel conviction. Because that means that you, you have got to a place with God where God's like, you're not listening to me. So I'm not going to keep hammering on you. I'm not going to keep bothering you. Sin bothers God. It should bother us. And in order for us to, to come to that place where we don't experience wrath again, we confess, we run to God, that we need him, and we turn away from our sin. The third thing we need, we need to see our desperate need for intervention and a mediator. What does Moses do? I mean, you've got to love this man's heart. After it's all said and done, he's like, okay, God, don't, don't kill him. Don't kill him. He goes to the top of the mountain and he says, okay, God, God, like, can I make atonement? You know what he's essentially saying? He's saying, I will go up the mountain and I will die for the people so the people may continue to be in peace under you. I'm willing to die. He says the words, blot me out of your book. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus has done for us. You see, no matter how hard you try to repent of your sin, you're never going to fully do it. Not fully. It's a lifelong battle. But the good news is, is Jesus has gone to the top of the mountain as Moses did, and he has said to the Lord, I'm willing to die for my people that they will know you. And the good news is his death was accepted, his sacrifice was made so that you and I can have perfect communion with God for eternity. So it goes all the way back again to Jesus. And then lastly, I left out this weird little piece Look at chapter 32, go to verse 27. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on the side of each of you, go to and fro from the gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and companion and neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses that day, and about 3,000 men fell. So the wrath of God goes out, these people die. Now, if we foreshadow Jesus in the New Testament, we recognize something really beautiful 
Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter gets all riled up, and what does he do? He pulls out his sword. He's ready to bring the wrath of God down upon those who are arresting Jesus, and he cuts the ear of one of one of the servants, one of the soldiers there. And Jesus heals it and says, you'll no longer lift up the sword. You want to know why? Because this is a season underneath the gospel reign of Jesus Christ where we are not to raise our swords against one another. There's a lot of sword throwing going around, isn't there? We're not to do that. I have three post-it notes underneath my computer for certain things that I want to remind myself of. I read a book uh, before COVID-19 from a gal by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. Oh, man. If you just want to have your world rocked, just read anything from Mrs. Butterfield. She was a lesbian who a pastor invited her into his home and through several conversations came to know Jesus, repented of her sin, and just has one of the most gracious hearts that you've ever read. And she has this quoted her book that has just rocked me from the day that I read it. It just sits under my computer, and every now and then I read it to remind myself of how important it is to just focus on these words. You've heard this before. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. She recognizes the need for us to repent. You know, we, we, you've heard that quote before, but she's like, no, that's wrong. Every now and then, I, I personally just love things that, that we've had as, as a church for years and years and years ago. Well, this is the way we say it. This is how it is. And for someone new to come in and say, actually, there might be some things you're missing. And this is the way that she said it. No, no, no. It's not love the sinner and hate the sin. It's love the sinner, hate your own sin. Deal with you. Don't raise your sword against your brother. Deal with you. How are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? Man, we've been so outwardly focused on what everybody else is doing. It's now the season to go to Calvary, to go to the mountain, to sit with God as Moses did, to humble ourselves and confess where we've gone awry, and allow the balm and the healing of the Holy Spirit to bind us up. So the church will no longer be distracted and unfocused on how to live during this new season of what we're in in the United States. There will be people that respond with the gospel of grace. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer and we sing to the Lord? Took a little extra time this morning. Thank you for being patient and Listen to the word. I think Exodus has been good. It's good to see you guys again. Seriously, it's just such a blessing to see some of your faces. Each week, new people are kind of coming out of the word work, feeling more comfortable. And, man, I'm just so happy to have you here. I really am. Someone said to me this morning, you look like you're starting to enjoy this a little bit more. I said, yeah, a little bit. And that's good. Let's celebrate those victories. It's nice to have some extra shade, Yeah? Yeah? God provided that through some generous giving here at the church. And it's just, I was thinking this week with the staff too, just, man, I'm still, I still partner with some churches. They're not meeting yet. 
they're not they're not necessarily thriving in the season. We've had our bumps and bruises, and I'm just so thankful that we're in this mountain town. We get to still be here outside. We get to still proclaim our hope, and we get to still see each other kind of in a bubble, so we haven't been as impacted as much. If you're in real estate, you're rich, so tithes and offerings should go up. I mean, God has been good. We have a tremendous pastoral team and elders here. We have some of you that that I know. Some of you have come to me and said, you know, I haven't agreed with everything you've done, but I love you. This is our church, and I support you. You know how much that means to me? Because I'm not perfect. Your leadership isn't perfect. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. And I just feel like lingering here in this moment because I don't, I don't want to lose the moment. Something beautiful happens when the church gathers together to sing to their Savior that is Jesus. And this is beautiful, and it was taken from us for a season. Maybe that was my fault. Maybe it's some other thing. I don't know. All I know is we're here. And every single one of you that I see, I can just sense God's love for you. And it moves me. It encourages me to continue to want to do ministry, to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. You are God's bride. You are loved. You are forgiven. You have been graced upon. Man, I pray that we truly reflect that goodness, yeah? Jesus, thank you that you have invited us into the tent. Thank you that your love burns for us so brightly that when we cheat on you and we run from you, you are upset. That you're a jealous God. You want us to be with you and you alone. You will not allow us, Lord, to run to false gods and sin and false idols. Because you're our father and we are your children, you will always draw us back. I pray, Lord, that your people who are called by your name in this community would be a beacon of that hope, a beacon of that light and love and forgiveness. And may in this season, Lord, more people come to know you. And may in this season, those of us who know you, may we come to know you even more. We trust you in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. Hey, friends, uh, <clears throat> we're going to introduce a new song to you this morning and just a reminder to build our life upon the Lord and upon his grace and his goodness, not upon our own idols. We invite you to sing.
rest upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, our salvation. People of God, hear now these words of blessing. May the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we sing that one more time? Just your voices, church. Holy. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you on high. Lord, may we set aside our idols and lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends, thanks for coming. Um, if you are a parent, please pick your children up over here in the playground um, as soon as possible. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Horrible.